This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. We are live on Twitter Spaces, but also, as always, this will be available to listen back to as a podcast through the Teachers Talk Radio website, and we will be making sure that we share it far and wide. A really exciting show this evening. Um, the title, <laughs> you're talking like a teacher already, the title for today's show, and you better write it down, make sure you underline your date too, is Direct Instruction Beyond Rose and Shine. So a really exciting show where we are going to be delving into, um, well, all sorts of things really, but particularly what direct instruction is, uh, what the results of direct instruction can be and are, and particularly um, how the National Institute for Direct Instruction can help you as a teacher, maybe help the staff in your school to develop your delivery of direct instruction as a teaching strategy and all the other things it encompasses. So they're they're the key aims for today's show. I I know it's going to be fantastic. We're live, which means that you can interact with us whenever you would want to. There's a tiny little button at the bottom right-hand side, a little speech speech symbol. If you click that, you can uh, type a message to us at any point during the show. Uh, to get involved in the conversation or you can just put a tweet out there use the hashtag tt radio and maybe you might want to tag us in at tt radio official and we will of course retweet and reply perhaps we might even pin some tweets into the space today um so without further ado um i'm gonna hopefully introduce uh, my co-host for this evening. It's a little bit like a primetime TV show, this. <laughs> I am joined by Brian, who is all the way over in the United States of America. Brian, good evening. Hey, good evening, Tom. It's great to uh, to be with you. Um, yeah, we're based out of uh, Eugene, Oregon, way on the far west coast of, uh, of the U.S. What's the weather like out there, Brian? Is it is it freezing? Well, it's it's eleven thirty a.m. here, and uh, it is uh, right now about fifty degrees, which I don't know what that translates into in uh, in your Celsius scale, but it's a it's a, not an unpleasant day. Um, not raining, fortunately. Oregon is definitely noted for its uh, ongoing rain. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that doesn't sound too bad, actually. I've just googled what that is. It doesn't actually look too bad. Um, yeah. So, Brian, I mean, before we sort of delve into the show, because we've got so much to cover, we've got amazing guests coming up. We've got Kurt Engelman, the president of the National Institute for Direct Instruction, a DI legend, some would say. We've got Terry Layton, the principal at Dixon's Manningham Primary School. We've got Susie Wybrow, who's an assistant head teacher and also the founder of National Direct Instruction Hub UK. And I think, and, and of course, you, Brian. Um, but what, are, and, and you'll be sort of, co-hosting this with me this evening so i wondered maybe you could tell people a little bit about you and how you became passionate about direct instruction maybe before i ask you that brian actually do you know what i'm gonna do first no i have no idea 
Uh, well, this is going to be really exciting. I I went onto ChatGPT and I put in because some people won't know this. Some people will be tuning into this or listening back to this as a podcast and won't know what direct instruction is. Now, you might disagree with this definition. I asked ChatGPT, what is direct instruction? And ChatGPT told me direct instruction is a teaching method in which the teacher provides explicit, structured and step-by-step instructions to the students, leading them through a lesson or activity. The focus is on clear explanations and examples, clear expectations with an emphasis on student understanding and participation. Direct instruction is commonly used in subjects such as maths, reading or math in the United States, maths, reading and writing, and can be applied in a variety of educational settings. Do you agree with that, Brian? Is that a good definition of, of direct instruction? Um, yes, largely. And Kurt will get into this maybe a bit more. Yes. But um, yeah, that, that's, that's a... It'll do a job. It, it, it will do reasonably. And when, when we're talking though, today about direct instruction, we're talking about a specific set of curriculum that was developed by, uh, the, by Siegfried Engelman, um, Kurt's father. Uh, Zig developed direct instruction, uh, a theory of instruction uh, in, in the, the early 60s, actually. And then it is embodied in a print curriculum that is marketed by McGraw-Hill. Um, it, the, the principles of direct instruction can be utilized really for teaching anything, but yeah. but it is uh, mostly found in uh, developmental programs for teaching reading, language, and as you all call it, maths, um, in, in developmental, and then there's also a corrective strand of it. That's differentiated from other forms of what one might call little d, little i, or Rosenshine direct instruction that really talks more about um, like smaller component parts of what makes up the big DI programs. Um, a little known, little known fact is that the, the popular notion of the Rosenshine direct instruction really was based on observations and analysis of Engelman's authentic direct instruction and how uh, and, and he, Rosenshine looked at, well, what are the features of this instruction that make it effective? Those being things like the group responses, uh, 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 um, scripted instruction, signaling, uh, you know, so choral responses and, and whatnot that are component parts of authentic direct instruction. But the real, if you will, uh, secret sauce of authentic direct instruction is the genius of the instructional design. The faultless, okay. the, the design that includes faultless communication. So we're very explicit in what kind of student response we're trying to elicit so that we minimize the likelihood of students learning misrules or you know, we're not actually teaching what we thought we were teaching. <laughs> so Got that's uh, kind of in a nutshell that the differentiation between big DI that we're talking about today and little DI, um, which is 
sometimes effective, but other times you can have those component parts and still have a perfectly useless program. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we're going to sort of, obviously, we're going to delve into this much deeper um, as we go on. But I wanted to ask you, Brian, on a personal level, what what inspired you to get so interested in direct instruction? What What, <laughs> what brings you to it? Well, actually, I started uh, in, in my, my career path in DI um, when I was 17 years old. Uh, so that would be uh, 40, 43 years ago uh, as a, a high school uh, senior. Uh, my, my, my graduating year, I needed a few credits to graduate. So I got a job as a shipping clerk working at um, this Engelman Becker Corporation which is the development arm for the direct instruction programs. Um, so I was just a, Zig was always fond of call, saying, uh, well, what we need is a smart high school kid to, to do such and such tasks. Um, and so um, I was the, 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 the smart high school kid that uh, shipped out boxes of, of materials, photocopying and whatnot, then later became a receptionist, um, full-time and then moved on to working in the program development area, compiling feedback on the, on the, the tryouts of the programs, which is yeah. something else we'll talk about, um, how, how extensively these programs are field tested and, and on and on and on through, through the years. Um, so yeah, it's people who are closely involved in direct instruction and, and as well as instructors who are utilizing it, it really does become not a job, but a passion, but a, a, a career. Um, it's not something you just do uh, and, and leave it at the door when you lock up the office at night. It, it is um, it just becomes who part of who you are. Absolutely. And one of our other guests has actually joined us. Susie, we'll just check you're there. Susie, are you there? Hello. Yeah, yeah. Hello. Here. And you're an assistant. You're an assistant head teacher um in in over here yeah. in the uk um so mm -hmm. i mean obviously the whole show is is sort of titled direct instruction beyond rose and shine but what what i want to ask yeah. you is like why are you so passionate about direct instruction and what does it what does it mean to you when you think about it in a teaching sense yeah i think for me it was um quite a few years ago back in 2017 Myself and my colleague Kevin Surrey were kind of teaching um, lower sets in year seven and eight. And um, we found out about direct instruction and how important explicit instructions can be, particularly for those low attainers. And to us, you know, we can teach a curriculum um, to students, but not to every child. And it's important how um, students learn by just simple, simple language, you know, um, step by step learning. And from that moment, it just became apparent to us that um, direct instruction was the kind of provision to offer these children. And although there was some resistance at the start in terms of reading from a script, um, you know, that's probably the most common, um, I guess, scepticism for teachers is reading from a script. But you'd be quite surprised how, how explicit the teaching is for these particular students who can't access the curriculum. So for me, since then, um, myself and my colleague, became very passionate about Engelman's work. Brilliant. Well, do you know what? I think Brian's got some questions for you, Susie. So while we wait for 
um, Kurt. I, I believe that Kurt is joining us uh, and Terry as well. Um, but before they arrive, um, Brian, I believe you've got some questions that you'd like to ask. Oh, uh, Kurt is here. Here he is. Hang on a second. <laughs> I'm going to pass back over to Brian. But Brian, in a second, you are going to be talking to the legend that is Kurt Engelman on Teachers Talk Radio. Brian, I'm going to pass. Oh, Kurt, we'll check. You can hear us first. Kurt, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Boy, the legend that is. Uh, that, I thought that was just <laughs> in my own mind, you know? <laughs> Not quite. No, I mean, I, we, we've done our reading here at Teachers Talk Radio. We know you are a god of sort of directing. Oh, my God. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass over to Brian now, and Brian's gonna ask you a few questions if that's okay about your your journey with DI. Brian, over to you. Yeah, great. So Kurt, yeah, I mean here we've known each other forever. Uh, I could tell the whole story <laughs> for you, but just give us a bit about your background and uh, your intimate <laughs> involvement with direct instruction. Well, I'll first start from when I started to work. Like you, I was recruited as a teenager. Actually, a little bit younger than you. I think it was age 14 when my dad started me having to write items for different programs. So through my teenage years during the summers, that is what I did, right? I wrote items for such programs as Reading Mastery, uh, Expressive Writing, and uh, Spelling Mastery. I also worked as a tutor at the Engman Becker Learning Center, teaching kids individually or in small groups with DI. Uh, closing achievement gaps, mostly. Um, then in my 20s, I expanded to also work a bit on the programs um, in terms of the field testing. So I, I uh, was involved in field testing, the beginning algebra laser disk program, which I know you recall. And I worked for Oregon Research Institute uh, in an interesting study, co-authoring lessons on appropriate social behavior for students. Um, and, and then also at the ripe age of, of 24, I started managing a DI summer school for autistic kids, had just two classrooms, and thank goodness Gary Davis was there too. Um, <laughs> then I took, uh, fast forward 15 years, because I went and I did something completely different, got some graduate degrees, came back in 2000 as the administrative director, and then became president, so I've been around uh, ever since 2000, and very glad that I am. Well, that's great. Yeah. Um, good nutshell. And we'll also include that uh, you were uh, an early, you and your, uh, your twin brother, Owen, were uh, uh, test subjects for the early direct instruction programs. In fact, people can go to our website, uh, which is nifdi.org, nifdi.org. And uh, under the videos, you'll see uh, a cute video of what were you Four years, Four years old. old, yes. <laughs> yeah. Four years old and Zig doing a demonstration of uh, of of um, their ability his ability to teach and the students' ability to um, um, deliver uh, um, math uh, show show off their uh, their math skills that were taught through DI. So yeah, it, it is amazing if I can just add on to that real quick. You know, my father had no no official training in education. He was a philosophy major at the time, and he, but he became interested in seeing how how to how to teach us different topics, and so he developed this explicit, systematic, uh, incremental step mastery learning approach that he used on Owen and me with, as you say, great results. Yes, and and that. <laughs> Then he, he 
he showed that video to various folks and it caught the attention of Carl Breiter at the University of Illinois. And that's really when direct instruction started. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Nifty. Um, you know, what, what is, what's Nifty's purpose, goals, et cetera. Um, you know, my father uh, founded Nifty in 1997 to help schools and districts uh, with a comprehensive support package um, to make sure that that schools received and teachers received the training that they needed to be successful with DI. Because although the programs are terrific, and uh, we can talk more about the programs, I'm so glad you mentioned the faultless communication. I'd also mentioned the incremental step design when there's, when there's only 10 to 15% new each day. Um, and so if kids are placed properly in the program and taught to mastery every day, just absolutely wonderful results um, are, are, are the outcome. Yeah. So Nifty's purpose is to help its partners maximize student performance, uh, to help the schools and districts achieve the highest level of success possible with DI. That's the, the first goal. And then the second goal is to build their capacity so they can implement DI effectively independently over time. Although there's quite a bit to learn. So we found, especially for coaches and school leaders, that it takes two or three years to go through the, the full sequence of the coaching academies. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Great. Yeah, so Nifty provides... Um various uh, incremental levels of service, um, starting with um, the pre-service training, uh, actually placement assistance. Yes. Uh, Let me just that, jump in there and emphasize please. that, if you don't mind, that, that it all should start with the placement testing, because with this incremental step design, it's super important to make sure that the instruction the kids receive matches their current skill level. So the placement tests give a snapshot in time of which of the programs and which of the levels would be most appropriate for which kids. And quite often the programs have multiple entry points. Uh, and so the students are grouped homogeneously as much as possible at those entry points for the initial instructional groups. Um, so yes, placement testing is the first very important step and it should be done before ordering the materials, because if you don't order the materials that match the grade or the year level, it's based on the skill level of the kids and, and the availability of the different uh, instructors. So we help with the placement testing and then grouping support. We help with the initial groupings, which we have to realize will be flexible over time. Uh, to accommodate for differential learning rates of the kids. Some kids may be ready sooner for more advanced material, whereas other kids uh, may need to repeat some of the lessons to make sure that they are firm. Because with a mastery learning program, it builds sequentially. So we have to make sure that they are completely at mastery uh, at their current level before going on. 
Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then the next step would be the um, actual program training, um, which our standard, and this is something very important for our listeners to, to know is like the, the nifty standard for training is generally speaking, two full days of training on a, on a specific program and level. Uh, or group of programs and levels. Um, listeners should be very leery of any group or that would come in and say, oh, sure, we can train you in, uh, say, reading mastery K through five. It will take about five hours um, and you'll be good to go. Um, you know, our, our, our training is definitely very extensive, um, involves lots and lots of practice, lots and lots of feedback. And Yes. Can I ask, can I ask both, either of you can answer this on the training? What I'm, I'm sure you're going to come on to this, but what's in the training? What do you, what do you train on? So sure. the, the programs, uh, can I take a shot at that? Brian? Go ahead, please. Yep. Sure. So the, the programs, uh, you know, I described how they're, they're designed with only 10 to 15% new. The programs have different tracks, uh, that each are getting more and more sophisticated over time in the lessons. Um, and, and so the, um, the teachers need to know how to present the different exercises that belong to those tracks. So as Brian said, there's practice. It's about two-thirds practice with one-third explanation, simulating, um, presenting, and correcting those specific formats. So um, the specific layout is that, is that the trainer will model an exercise, play the part of the teacher, and they play the part of the students, actually reading the scripts, then it's reversed, and then errors introduced. Actually, with the, uh, the training for the teachers also follows that incremental step design. So we start off very simple and build on it until teachers have achieved mastery and how to present and correct those formats very, very fluently. Yeah, I think an important point to note is one of the, um, I guess I'll use the word knocks against direct instruction is that, oh, it's rote learning. It's all about the teacher. It's, you know, it, it's, it's creating automatons or what, what have you. And in fact, there is, I would argue that there is no other form of instruction that is more student-centered and student-directed than direct instruction. DI is all totally, the instruction is totally responsive to what the student is producing. Now, if that, isn't, if that is not student-directed learning, I don't know what is. Uh, if the student makes an error, we need to look at what our instruction that we've given, what, what is it that needs to be tweaked, what correction can we provide? So it's not, it is not, uh, it's not really, and that, that Tom gets back to your earlier definition, which uh, it, uh, the BBC, uh, Google or whatever, uh, kindly sidestepped uh, the, the, the teacher directed part of it because really, it, it all is focused on what is the student, what feedback are we receiving from the student to our instruction that we're providing? Really important. 
Okay, that's interesting. I mean, we've had a tweet coming in, actually, from a listener. Um, they say, I've joined a school this year where student-led learning is prioritised. Mm-hmm. Teacher talk is discouraged, which makes direct instruction very difficult. Do you have any advice? Um, I don't know whether one of you wants to answer that now or whether you want to sort of come back to that later. Well, um, if I were given that response, or if I were given that question posed, I really would give the answer that I just gave. Yeah. I, would, I, yeah. would ar- I would not argue, but I would put forth to somebody who is saying, like, teacher talk minimized. Well, we want to make sure that the, the students are learning what it is we're trying to teach. If we leave that, if we leave the students to discover how to read, well, they may discover how to read on their own, but isn't it much more expedient and doesn't it achieve our goals by trying to shape the instruction so that we end up where we're trying to get to rather than meandering along a path that may result in frustration and failure and the student um, taking much longer to achieve the objective that we're after. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I would respond to something like that. Very, very good answer. Kurt, I don't know whether you've got anything you want to add to that for, for this listener. Well, yes, there's efficiency. The, the, the students may not get the correct answer. We see that all the time. I, I mean, if anyone there has followed the uh, sold a story, what that tweeter was describing is is the same thing where kids are are encouraged to go and look like avid readers sit in a sofa put their feet up thumb through pages and and you know rub their brow or whatever uh, experienced readers <laughs> are supposed to do but it doesn't mean that they're learning anything as a matter of fact they may be learning things incorrectly as that series showed so direct. So you're sort of talking about you're you're talking there about, like let's say in a so-called inverted commas student learning centered approach, where students might be sort of tasked to do something, but without that sort of direct instruction element from the teacher, right? Well, let me be clear that centers can work if the students have the prerequisite skills and know what to do and are able to do what's in the centers. It, exactly. it's, not, it's not efficient for initial teaching, but for giving additional practice it, and having them generalize their skills, there's nothing wrong with that or projects, uh, et cetera. But to yeah. use that for initial teaching, again, I referred to that, um, the Soul to Story uh, uh, podcast in which kids have been crippled essentially for life because... They have been. They they then have been promoted to guess, look at the context, look at the pictures, and as soon as those go away and they're reading connected texts where the text is all just uh, you know, no pictures on the page, they struggle mightily and have self-image problems, etc. So direct instruction, what it does, it has the model, lead if necessary, and test approach. Uh, which many of the viewers will be familiar with. That's true of small DI and big DI. It's just in the DI program, that modeling is very carefully thought out in terms of the uh, sequence and the specific examples. 
Yeah. Right, I'm going to hand back to Brian because Brian's got so many more questions and I don't <laughs> want to butt in anymore. But if we do have any more texts, I will butt, butt in. Excellent. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Tom. So, yeah, Kurt, we were kind of going through the, the level of mm. services that our organization provides. Um, we got as far as, as uh, 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 training. And then right. um, in order to, to glean out the uh, maximum effectiveness of DI, uh, we add in a, uh, a data data collection process. Well, I um, would uh, let me just back up a little bit before you leave training completely. A really important component of our pre-service training is the checkout, in which the the participants form into small groups, and the trainer comes around and has a list of of different um, skills to ensure that the participants master before they go out. But I would, before talking about the data review, I would just say that the on-site or remote coaching and demonstration feedbacks are critical because mm -hmm. the pre-service training tends to focus on the initial 30 lessons or so to make sure that the groups get off to a, a very strong start. And, and then coaching and in-services, either on-site or remotely, using Zoom, et cetera, uh, video recordings takes place. Right. Right. Yeah. And then uh, so so the, that coaching is all um, directed at looking at, at student performance. So we keep data. Uh, we collect data uh, that the, the instructor, excuse me, collects uh, individual student uh, mastery test information as well as group progress information. And then our organization, we have uh, what's called an implementation manager that will uh, get collect, uh, process that information. And what we are, I, again, talking about the, the student-centered um, notion of DI, uh, we are looking at what are the student performance problems and what are the factors that are impeding any progress issues or mastery issues that may be taking place. And You're absolutely right. And one of the goals is to make sure that, again, on an ongoing basis, that the performance of the students matches what's required in the lessons, that small step, uh, incremental step design again. So by looking at those data and observations, we can see do, are there some children who benefit by repeating parts of some lessons? Uh, are there some who have aced their mastery tests three weeks in a row, and should we consider moving them up in the program? Because we're always looking at opportunities to accelerate student performance. As we found that a lot of students simply are what we call undertaught. No one has ever explained to them mathematics, sequentially, et cetera. And sometimes they don't need that many repetitions. They get the idea and they're ready to move into more challenging material. Exactly, exactly. And, and as you noted, you know, we're constantly working to build the capacity of uh, a partner school or, or, or trust to uh, be independent of our services. We're, we're, we're working hard to work ourselves out of a job. Uh, and, um, and, and supporting along the way 
the success of the staff and therefore the students. So it's a right. We have the on-site coaching academies that we do, and then we also have the open registration uh, coaching academies, um, pre-service training. I think you may have an announcement with regard to that, a very exciting one in England for teachers. Um, and eventually we hope to, over there, have the coaching institute and the institute and becoming trainers, et cetera, um, once we get that pre-service training started in England. Don't forget Wales and Scotland, Kurt. <laughs> yes, sir. I, I, I shan't. I shan't. Yes, it should be the UK. It's just that so far we've only worked with schools in, in England. We would love to, to work in, uh, in the rest of the UK also. Thank you, Tom. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, what an offer that is. Come on, Wales and Scotland. Don't let the side <laughs> down. Um, yeah. But no, I, I, what's interesting from, from, from your discussion, so it, that was an important point, actually, I was going to ask is if there's a school listening now who's based in, many of our listeners are obviously based in the UK, that, that these sort of, this training is available in the UK, right? It's available in England yes. at the moment. Yes. Um, in fact, um, NIFTI is able to deliver training remotely uh, via Zoom. We have also been working to develop the capacity of a small cadre uh, and, and expanding cadre of, of folks who have, have gone through our trainer training. Uh, and in fact, um, Kurt sort of alluded to, a nice segue there, Kurt, um, Go ahead. To, to, to an announcement that Nifty will be sponsoring an, uh, a, a training in the UK this summer. Uh, it's going to be July 6 and 7. Uh, on and we're going to limit it to two specific sets of programs that being the corrective reading program in deco uh, corrective reading decoding program as well as the corrective math series so corrective reading um, is for uh, students who you know our grade levels would correspond with grades three on up through even adult basic education uh, and uh, who, who are struggling readers that, that, that a developmental program, for whatever reason, has failed to teach them the skills that they need to be, be fluent readers. And the corrective maths program is also uh, for a, a similar population. Um, so I think that equals what you all would have your, call your key stage two and three students. Um, it's it's amazing um, to to us the the number of, of students that are um, uh, candidates for corrective math uh, that that place actually in the uh, in the um, like the basic edition uh, module and these are students that have been exposed to math instruction for on towards you know six and seven years that they they are they're failing. Um, we, we definitely would like to see um, more use of the programs in the primary, um, primary grades so that we obviate the need for these corrective programs later on in the students' careers. But Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I was just going to cut in there and ask you both, again, ask you both that. You mentioned this sort of, when you, I remember when we had a meeting, Brian, prior to this show, you were telling me about all the sort of, students who don't progress in areas like maths for example and and you you put some of that down to the lack of 
direct instruction practice, um, particularly the lower down you go. Would that would that be a fair summary? A- absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, wouldn't we rather give people, uh, give students an inoculation against failure? rather than have to wait until they fail and then provide a treatment for their failure. That's really kind of the heart and soul of, of direct instruction. It's like, let's, let's teach them now so that we don't have to deal with their problems later on. Um, um, Kurt, I was going to ask you, just leading on from what Brian said, would that be sort of, I mean, What's the opposite? Let's let's say an example of a school or, or a teacher or whatever who who doesn't use direct instruction. Now, I think most teachers do do use it in certain capacities, whether whether they they, they, they may all use it in a different way, but most do. But I, I'm sort of asking you, what's the opposite of, you know, of what you want teachers to do? What 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 is the problem? If you know what I mean, that you're trying to address, is it is it a pedagogy issue? Is it, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a very big question, and I'll answer it a it little is. bit. But I I want to make sure we leave enough time uh, for our other speakers, including Terry yeah. Layton, who has been at a school that has 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 done exactly what what Brian has said, yeah. in which. They've discovered these problems, noticed, the, observed these problems uh, at the secondary level, uh, and and decided to address them in the primary level using direct instruction. So I just um, that's a good idea. We'll let we'll let Terry answer that one. Brian, I'm going to hand back to you. Okay. Um, well, you caught me flat-footed on that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm great at that. It's like passing a ball to a player in a game of, of soccer um, and just being like, there you go. I'm not even going to tell you I'm passing you the ball. I, uh, just have it. Back there you go. Way. Kind of the, or in basketball here, it's the behind the back pass. And the guy says, oh, there we are. <laughs> exactly. So, Kurt, yeah, why don't you speak a bit to that whole remediation? Uh... Well, yeah, Tom asked, what is what is the 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 problem we are trying to address and um i would just say it's gone it's the discovery method gone amok it has it has simply there there are a couple different things too many goals too soon for students rather than assessing them to see what they need and teaching them at their skill level um and the other thing is that in, in too many places, simply the instruction doesn't match the kid's ability to access that instruction. It's fine for them to do, it's great for them to do projects, it's great for them to do centers, et cetera, as I said before, as long as they have the prerequisite skills. So making sure that the kids can benefit from the activities that are taking place at school, because who are the kids also, this is a matter of equity, who are the kids who suffer? They're generally speaking, but not always, kids from lower socioeconomic strata who don't have language-rich environments, and they don't have the resources at home to, to, to make sure that they are ready to be successful in school. Now, of course, as, that, um, as the podcast sold a story 
talks about, there are many, many thousands of kids from middle and higher socioeconomic strata who are also struggling with uh, that type of instruction. So that's my answer to that question. Yeah, and, and that actually, so Kurt's referenced a couple of times a, uh, a podcast, Sold a Story. Just wanted to give, if any listeners are not familiar with that, Google uh, Sold a Story. It's done by uh, uh, American, Report, American Public Media reporter Emily Hanford. Does a great investigative job of, of looking at uh, a variety of, of reading approaches that have failed countless, literally millions of students worldwide. Um, really well worth well worth the listen. Um, but um, yeah, the, the Solda story is definitely worth listening to. Um, and but really, where these problems you know, you talk about the pedagogy, it start is with our teacher education programs. Uh, and I'm, I, I would, I would dare say it's probably a, a worldwide situation where, uh, you know, you get these, uh, you know, high school graduates, they're going to go to a, a teacher's college, you know, do it, enter into a teacher education program. And they are taught by people, by professors who really don't have any basis for the dogma that they are infusing into these prospective teachers. A lot of those people have never been into a, into a classroom in their, in their careers and have, they have these, what I like to call romantic notions about teaching and learning. They have this belief that students are little sponges that are eager to learn and that our job is to elicit that uh, and, and cultivate that, that yearn to learn feeling in the students without ever directly actually teaching them anything. And so, so they go out all starry-eyed and say, I'm ready to conquer the world because I've learned how to, how to teach reading. And then they get into the classroom and discover that no, um, this student isn't learning. And so what do they do? Do they say, oh my gosh, um, my, 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 my four years of education has failed me. No, what we do instead is we label these students as learning disabled, dyslexic, this, that, or the other thing, and call the, and give the student and blame the failure on the student without even looking at their failure, at the failure of the curriculum to actually deliver sensible instruction. And that's, um, that's something that, you know, if we had our magic wand, uh, it would be to definitely put it forward uh, to, uh, you know, actually be using programs that work instead of labeling why Johnny can't read. Why Johnny can't read is because he has not been properly instructed. Um, sorry, jumped on that soapbox a bit. <laughs> no, that was that was brilliant. Um, we've had another text in. Um, Telford Park Reading, who are in the uh, listening live right now, you can see them see their logo if you scroll down in the uh, in the in the the sort of studio space here. Um, but uh, Telford Park of, of text: Hi, we are a secondary school who has successfully used direct instruction for seven years. How do I find out about the UK training in July? Is there a plan? 
to bring out traditional English language versions of CR decoding. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So our website now, we, we actually just got uh, an okay on the site for the training. It will be in uh, at, at Heath Lane. Um, oh, shoot. Here we go. Uh, yeah, it's going to be at Heath Lane Academy, part of the Midland Academies Trust. Um, and, and we will, in the next couple of weeks, have registration information out. You can, um, if you send me an email, the best one probably would be info at nifty.org. I'll make sure to get you all, uh, anybody who sends me an email, a link to that uh, registration information once it becomes available. Um, in terms of coming up with a, a standardized, um, like a Commonwealth edition of the programs, we we dearly wish that the developers of the program, uh, Engelman Becker Corporation and McGraw-Hill would sponsor the uh, uh, development of um, an international version. Um, we definitely run into that in uh, 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 the corrective, uh, or excuse me, in working with Australia and as well as in the UK that the vocabulary doesn't necessarily match up the, the uh, I'm sorry, I'm being distracted by someone. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, uh, vocabulary, the spelling, et cetera, does not quite match up, um, but that's something that's beyond our control. Hey, would I think um, this would be a great time to get um, um, Terry Layton to um, uh, weigh in a bit on her experience uh, with, with the direct instruction programs in a primary setting. So, um, Terry, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Hello. There we go. Hello, Terry. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Tommy. You? Very good, thank you. Really looking forward to uh, to Brian asking you the questions about direct instruction at primary level. I know that's a sort of area that I'm interested in as well. So I'll, I'll pass back over to Brian. There you go. Thanks for the warning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, 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 we've got you know 90 minutes together. Probably by the end of it, you'll catch on to my version of what humor is. Anyway, so Terry, um, yeah, so tell us a bit about uh, your, your, your experience with, with direct instruction, the, the use uh, of the programs, et cetera. Go on. So about um, five, six years ago, we were finding our children in Key Stage 2 were really struggling with reading. Our phonics results were always good. In fact, the year when we got 92% phonics pass, we were all sort of thinking, yes, we finally cracked it. But the year three reading just went, you know, completely sideways again. And it was all due to a lack of fluency, a lack of being actually able to put phonics into words rather than it being taught as a separate. So phonics was really about rote learning as opposed to anything else. Because we're an inner city school, high deprivation, very high EAL, language acquisition's really poor. Um, and so we tried lots of different things. We've been using the um, corrective reading decoding programs, which I heartily recommend in Key Stage 2 for many a year. And um, we were also working with our Ed Psych and, and sort of quizzing him on what can we do, what can we do? 
And knowing that we liked the corrective reading decoding programme, he suggested we took part in the um, DI reading and language mastery as a research project with NIFTA. So that started our journey about four years ago on the um, language and reading for mastery programmes, which were very unusual for a, a, a UK school to do because it did involve reception, you know, sat learning on the carpet, on, on chairs, you know, for 30 minutes, 45 minutes by the end of the year, which is, you know, not normal really. But the impact of that's been fantastic. You know, our, our results in phonics continue to be good. But four years in now, our current year four children, 50% of them are reading, you know, far in advance of the chronicle age, you know, at least a year in advance, if not two years for some children. So that's been a massive change. We don't no longer need to use the corrective reading decoding programmes in Upper Key Stage 2. Whereas once upon a time, we had nearly 50% of year five and year six on those programs. Wow. You know, the impact for us has been absolutely fantastic. You know, with the language acquisition being so poor, the Reading Mastery also has a language mastery program. So we took that on board at the same time. And that language gap is really closing. You know, the, the technical language that's taught through the program just supports learning in every single subject area. It's fantastic. That wider knowledge, you know, we talk about culture, you know, capital culture and, and things like that. Cultural capital, got it the wrong way. Um, you know, we talk about that lots, but for children that come from deprived backgrounds that don't get to go anywhere, don't get to see anything, the DI programme, you know, gives them that. Kind of reminds me of my social studies, you know, when I was doing my A-levels 100 years ago, <laughs> you know, where, where you learn about the world. And that's what the language, gap, you know, the language programme actually does. So it's been fantastic for us. Great, great. Yes. And see, uh, that really supports what I was talking about, uh, your lack of having to have the corrective reading program later on because these children were efficiently and effectively taught in their primary mm -hmm. classrooms so yeah yeah it, it it does have such a massive difference it really does and the kids are so excited about reading now whereas once upon a time trying to get them to to read for pleasure was an absolute nightmare because they found reading so difficult, whereas now we're, we're in this, you know, sort of twilight zone of, you know, we never have enough books in the library because all the children have got like 10 books at home. Terry, can I can I just cut in and, and ask you to describe that change, like in practical terms, <clears throat> what exactly you changed? So, um, you know, we went from the old letters and sounds phonics teaching materials, which, you know, we, we'd done a lot of work on. As I said, we were getting good phonics results, but we had sort of a 30 minute phonics lesson every single morning. And it, it, it was basically flicking through the sounds, going back through the sounds, whereas now the programme actually puts those sounds into words at the same time. So you're constantly looking at whether or not they've got them. You're going back all the time, constantly covering previous learning to make sure kids have actually got that mastery that, that Kurt was on about. 
And all the time as part of this, you are looking at the teaching, you're looking at the learning, you're getting in, you know, on a weekly basis to, to make sure that everybody's keeping up rather than having to catch up later. So that student performance that, that Kurt mentioned earlier is all built into the programme. There's no way can somebody just, you know, drop and, you know, three months later when you do your next assessment drop, go, oh, my goodness, you know, they've not made as much progress as I wanted because you're on that every single week. I have to say it was hard for staff, though, Tom, at first. You know, we, we were taking on a programme that, hadn't been used in the UK at that point by anybody we were doing it as a research project because I, I really couldn't find anything else that I was convinced would fix our problems so we took it on for a one year and staff found it hard it flew in the face of you know what we say is good reception practice or what we used to say that has changed a lot um, and it was very scripted so following the script following and making sure we had consistency in in how we were asking things the signals that we were giving to children that took an awful lot of coaching um in the first year the staff found it hard the second year they saw the results of that and the third and fourth year it's just got stronger and stronger as people have really bought into it and seen how good it is for the children yeah tell me a bit about um the students uh, you said that it was a bit difficult for the staff at first. Definitely any kind of new approach is, uh, is, is um, difficult to, to, to bring in and, 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 and take on. Uh, how, how do the students feel about it initially and, and now? So initially, you know, the children generally go with what you try to teach them anyway, <laughs> don't they? especially when they're younger like that, you know, they, they went along with it. They did find, you know, sitting in chairs, facing the teacher at reception level, you know, quite difficult. But once they got into it and once they could see the progress that they were making, they were so proud of themselves. You know, you had children that were dancing and getting up in the assembly because they were moving up a book. And, you know, it, it was just so heartwarming <laughs> to see kids so excited about reading for once. Yeah, yeah. And and the, given that also, um, it's kind of a softball question. T uh, can you describe um, behavior issues that, that may have been taking place or, or, or are c continuing? So um, I think for us, you know, one of the reasons why our Ed Sykes suggested this program is that he knew that we were very much into the, the lowercase di and all the Rosenshine things. So, you know, our behaviour was generally good, but it was it was good in that children were, you know, were quiet, they were well behaved, but there wasn't that love of learning. And I think that's what di, you know, capital di has changed that there's actually now a thirst for learning. They want to know more. And and that's the big behaviour change that we've seen over the last four years. And, you know, as children get better at reading and stronger, more fluent, you have to then sort of improve the rest of your curriculum as well and make sure that they have opportunities for more challenging learning across the curriculum, not just in reading. 
great. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the pride that the students exhibit, I've, I've visited schools where you, know, you walk through a classroom and, and the kids will say, you know, Hey, Hey, want to see me read? <laughs> it, it, it's a, that's a real pleasure. It, it, it really, it's, it's fantastic. So. And they love that, you know, the, the mastery of language that they're getting, the fact that they're using all these, as we call them, you know, the Queen's words and, you know, posh words. And they just love that, you know, and they talk about the graphite. Can I sharpen my graphite, please, miss, you know, rather than do my pencil. <laughs> right. Yeah. And talking about tines of forks and things like that. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Kurt? Can I can so, I ask a question? Sorry. Go, go, in the no, one. Go, go on. um, Thanks, Brian. Um, I was going to ask Terry, what uh, did you get any sort of? Because you mentioned about the sitting in rows, uh, yeah. sort of facing the teacher at reception level, um, and I can imagine that. I mean, what was the sort of parental buy-in? What was the sort of, you know, from the wider education? You know, how, how have you dealt? Has it been positive? How have you dealt with anyone who's sort of not been on board? How, you know, because. There would be those who would say, oh, just just sort of let them play, I guess, at that time or let them. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, the sort of, yeah, our, our parents have been fantastic with it. We explained what it was. And, you know, like I said, originally it was just a one year project to see, you know, how it went. Um, and the parents were happy to go along with it, you know, and they could see the results that so they were absolutely fine. It's interesting that it's other professionals that come to the school who are much more, oh, you know, the pedagogy should be this and, you know, the reception children should be playing more. You know, they should be learning um, through exploring, you know, but it's like Kurt said, that that's good for, for students that have the necessary skills. But when you're coming from a place of great disadvantage, you know, play based learning just doesn't work. Right. You know, it, but for our students, you know, the vast majority of them are swaddled until the three years old. They're not even moving about that much. So we find even things like, you know, fine motor skills and gross motor skills are just so underdeveloped. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, just before I hand back to Brian, just a quick shout to everyone listening. We've had so many listeners tonight already. Um, just a quick shout to Christine, to, who's, who's been listening all the way through. Uh, Tamara, Tammy, Anthony, Simone, Taiwo, Naomi, Kanika. Uh, we've got Kimberly, John, um, Jim, uh, Rachel, Kevin. Telford part reading who we mentioned earlier Paul who's joined <laughs> us in the last sort of 10 minutes or so uh learning partnerships Nicola uh and Naveen who's who's also been here through the whole thing good evening Naveen I'm a big fan of of Naveen's work so yeah great to have everybody everybody here this evening for this um I, I was going to ask you Brian and and also Terry um and anyone else who wants to the title of the show is Direct Instruction Beyond Rosenshine. For anyone just joining us, that's the title of our sort of uh, show this evening. Um, Brian, I don't know whether you want to answer or whether maybe Terry, but what's, what, why did you, why did you use that phrase, direct instruction beyond Rosenshine? What's, what's the, what's the, the thing that makes it beyond Rosenshine? Yeah, as I alluded to earlier, I was talking about 
the 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 instructional design, the sequence of of instruction. Um, we you know one of the one of the basic principles is introducing highly similar concepts or forms, if you will, highly similar in great distances between each other so that we minimize the opportunity for confusion. So, you know, using Rosenshine's principles of uh, instruction, you could still miss the point of the instructional design. You can have kids responding on signal from a script to a perfectly horrible program and you don't get any outcomes at all. Can I give you, yeah, I, I'd like to just give one example that actually Please. my father encountered very early on in his career, which was teaching um, kids at, at the kindergarten level um, how to count. And so the practice <laughs> was at the time to count to three. So the teacher had the kids count one, two, three. The, the command would be, or the direction would be, count to three. The kids would go one, two, three. And they would do this for in the morning, in the afternoon. They got super firm on it. They could count to three. So then when the teacher said, count to five, what did the kids do? They said, one, two, five. <laughs> in other words, they had stipulated... <laughs> They, they were total naive learners. They didn't understand what they were doing. It wasn't paired with, with counting any, any sort of objects, et cetera. And instead, they thought they were supposed to say one, the word two, and then whatever else you're supposed to count to. Count to 15, one, two, 15. So, um, so this then informed my father that, all right, we need to make sure that in our program, we don't have kids what we call stipulate. We'll have them start counting from different numbers and for different lengths of time and then do that later on for backward counting. And then that will lead automatically to learning addition and subtraction. So that's just one of the hundreds of different stipulations that can occur in an instructional program uh, that has been addressed in the DI programs, especially when they're tried out. Exactly. Yeah, Kurt, that's a good example. Another um, in terms of highly similar um, items being introduced in great distances from each other. Um, it would be in reading um, like B, D, P, and Q. They're essentially the same form. It just has to do with the orientation of that form itself. So, you know, in, in reading is the first time students have occurred have uh, 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 have encountered a situation where based on its orientation a particular form takes on a different meaning or sound you know a, a chair for example a chair if it's on if it's upside down if it's you know sideways whatever a chair is always a chair students understand that idea but now oh we're going to teach you to read and sometimes this form makes this sound and sometimes this and sometimes this uh, and so we want to introduce them why great great distances from each other and then also with the program uh, it, it it uses a modified orthography so the D 
looks much different than a B until we're certain that the students are firm on those forms and then we generate then we fade the use of that specialized orthography um, so that again instructional design being careful with our our faultless instruction and fa faultless communication those are really the big some of the biggest differentiations between uh, just the the general rosenshine principles versus the actual authentic direct instruction programs got you perfect i'll let, I'll let you carry because i know you've got other questions to terry so I, I might let you let you carry on with that yeah so terry one um and this is actually somebody tweeted in this question uh Ofsted, that <laughs> that that looming presence apparently that's uh, all over the UK. Uh, what kind of encounters have you had with with Ofsted with use of the programs, given that they're not on the official list? Um, well, we haven't been through an inspection since we've started on the DI journey at all. Um, but I do know an Ofsted inspector and have gone through with her just to check what what the response might be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it seems to be that, you know, so, so long as we explain it correctly, we don't see a problem with it. Our results are good. That's the only time that the that Ofsted could actually, you know, challenge us to, to move to a different program is if our phonics results weren't good enough but they are above national so we're okay there but yeah the, our um our offsetting friendly offset inspector we know doesn't see that there will be a problem with it at all great great i i hope that i hope that is a common experience um with with schools i know that you know adoption lists here in the u.s can cause great problems um, for them, you know, not being on. And, and, and they don't even look at what the results are. They just say, nope, not on the list. You're you're out. <laughs> mm, yes, it, it seems to be a bit more flexible at the moment, which is great. <laughs> you know, good, good. Um, maybe now's a good time to bring on uh, Kent, or excuse me, Susie. Um, Susie Wybrow is our uh, UK outreach specialist. Um, she's the she's a good person to get in touch with if you're wanting to go see a school such as Terry's. Um, Terry, your school is open for for visitors. Yes, it is. We've had quite a few come to have a look at the programs already, which has been lovely. Great, great. So, Susie, um, good to see you or hear you again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, uh, what what brought you to direct instruction and 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 your your experiences with it, please? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned earlier, it was back in um, I'd say about five years ago now, about six years actually, where um, during the time at Magna Academy, based in Paul, our head teacher at the time, Richard Tut, had um, selected myself and Kevin Surrey, who's also on this podcast tonight. Hi, Kevin, if you're there, um, to implement Engelman's programs. Um, at the time, Kevin and I were like, what is DI? Obviously, first thing when you think of DI, you think of Rosenshine. So we um, were told, you know, in from September 2017, we were to deliver this program. Um, 
yeah and as much as people when they think of using a script you know they always think it can't be that hard you just read a script um you know it really isn't there's so much more involved than just reading reading a script um but immediately after the first year of implementation we saw the impact and as as um terry had mentioned more for the kind of disadvantaged children and it was you know within the first year of implementing this program it, you know the attainment had improved and on top of that was the behavior the self-esteem the confidence and as mentioned earlier in the podcast as well was that these children had a love for learning and these skills were transferable into the core curriculum um, and these children were you know not they were just had love for learning they reintegrated back into the core curriculum with the knowledge um, to access what the curriculum could offer them um, so it was you know the, the results were absolutely fantastic I mean we started off with children with literacy ages starting from five from the standardized scores and you know baseline tests with students with numeracy age of six and seven and these children were you know again going above their kind of national the national the kind of the expected levels you know some children were like start off with the reading age five and were leaving you know finishing the di program reading ages of 12 13 so these children were moving up sets not just one set like two or three sets um and it just became apparent to both kevin and myself you know through this journey um and the implementation for the first year that direct instruction didn't just close gaps, you know, in students learning, but it was a great kind of all-round programme, irrespective of your level of ability. Um, and from that moment, you know, we thought, where are we going to go with this next? I and mean, we had schools visiting from all parts of the country coming to see this one small classroom we had at Magna Academy, because Kevin and I were the two that were delivering, I was delivering corrective reading at Key Stage 3, and Kevin was delivering a connecting mass concept um, to also Key Stage 3 in year 7 and 8. Um, and we just became this small classroom known to quite a few um, schools across the country. And then from that moment, we kind of then partnered up with um, with the Nifty team. So with Kurt, Brian and the rest of the team where we received our kind of comprehensive coaching. Um, and as we thought it was the best way to kind of endorse direct instruction to support, so to support as many students as we can across the country and ensure that um, direct instruction was delivered, you know, to the highest quality really, because, um, I know there's practice that goes round, but until you've actually had that training and that comprehensive training with Nifty, there's so much more you will learn and realize what you're not actually doing. Um, so, and, and as I said, if you if you do have the opportunity to attend the, the pre-service training in July, I definitely do recommend it. And even though I'm in my kind of sixth year into direct instruction, I'm still learning and, and you know, have had the opportunity to go to the US and meet the team and go on the, um, the coaching academy um, with a few DI colleagues of mine in the UK, which was an, an absolutely fantastic opportunity. Um, yes, and, and then 2020 was kind of the highlight of, um, it was the highlight of the time, Kevin and myself opened up the DI Hub UK, um, which today we support many schools in uh, the coaching side of things. Um, and yes, and recently, as um, Brian had mentioned, I became the um, Nifty UK Publicity Specialist and I'm absolutely honoured to be part of the um, the team and promoting what Sigfrey started over 50 years ago. Oh, great, great. Um, yeah, you you touched on uh, uh, in terms of training. We do, uh, Nifty does have, it's called the National Direct Instruction Conference. It's held here in Eugene, Oregon in July at the end of the July next, this year, it'll be July 24th through 28th. 
uh, we'd urge you all to uh, uh, come on over. It's a splendid time, um, as I'm sure Susie would agree, uh, to, to be in Oregon, uh, a great environment, and just the power of uh, being around a group of very like-minded individuals. It's, uh, it's very invigorating and uh, an experience to be had. Um, yeah, so... Definitely is. I do think um, until you actually have the training, I think it's, you know, I think you just think it's like I said earlier, it's just reading a script to deliver the program. But there's so much more, I mean, involved. I mean, it's, it's ensuring that students do reach mastery. You're addressing these misconceptions every single lesson. Um, you know, there's data side of things, the assessment. And until you actually have that comprehensive training, it's, you know, you think you're doing it right. But there's so much more you can learn you know, from this, from the training. Can I ask you a question, Susie, and suggest? I was going to ask you from, from a sort of teaching and learning perspective, if, if you, and maybe Terry could, could butt in on this one as well. If you were telling a teacher in your school um, about the sort of key principles or key things that you would like them to do on a lesson by lesson basis, is there anything in that? Is there anything where you're like, I'd like you to do, keep doing this. I'd like you to do this consistently. You know, what are those things? Is that in just a normal core subject, is it? Um, I, well, if it's different in different subjects, that's fine. But I think I, I'm thinking, you, you, you know, from a direct instruction perspective, we're in, let's say, you know, we're new to direct implementing something with direct instruction we haven't done it before we we do very little of it and i'm a teacher in that school and mm. you, you know you're saying right we're, go we're going to implement we want people to to uh use direct instruction in their lessons more what would be the things that you might say to me as a teacher in that school that i should do more of and more consistently in my class is are there specific things i could do more of um, I think well for me is language is so important. I think the children that we we serve, um, as Terry kind of mentioned earlier, was um, these children come in with very little, you know, very um, little knowledge. And I think language is so important to be very consistent with. And as direct instruction programs have, is that it's, it's very simple language for students to comprehend. And I think for me would be. Um, checking for understanding it's all good asking a child a question but as Kurt kind of mentioned earlier as well it's all good asking the question but have students actually mastered it first it kind of goes back to the I do we do and the you do kind of Rosenshine practice but I think it's important before students you ask students to do something that they have that knowledge like for instance um, a couple of times I've gone into a classroom and done some learning learning walks I've seen teachers that would say right okay here's your task you have three questions to answer off you go you've got 10 minutes to do that um, questions could be something like have a look at this extract um, you know what is it asking you to do what is the writer trying to suggest and um, what is the viewpoint type thing? Um, but the students just sit there, and they don't know what they're doing. So it's actually breaking it down. And what DI does is kind of, it's done in tiny increments and actually breaking it down and modeling the answer. I know it's part of our practice, but it's, you know, it's ensuring that these children understand 
and comprehend what they have to do before they actually do it. And some of these, you know, and I think what happens with schools that we just assume they have that knowledge to access the work. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things I, I, I would suggest is don't assume students actually know what they're doing and, and making sure they have they know what they have to do before you ask them to, to actually go ahead and do that independent work. Spot on. I was going to ask Terry as well. Terry, I don't know if you're still there, but I was going to maybe ask Terry what you sort of said to your staff to do more of and to do less of. Um, the less of was less teacher talk. Um, well, that's interesting because I, I think many people associate um, sort of more direct instruction with more teacher talk. We have we have a profound capacity, I find, to restate something in several different ways that it absolutely confuses children as to what you're asking them to do. Yeah. Whereas DI is very, very clear on the instruction. Yeah. Um, and, you know, do more of the you absolutely fantastic <clears throat> and i didn't really need to once the teachers saw how good the di was they were naturally taking these on you know we've got listening to the program at the moment we've got rachel and shama who are both at our school and key stage two teachers and they both have taken on those aspects so wonderfully that it improves every single subject that you know they teach so what you're saying really there is you ask teachers to be more succinct in their instruction and in their explanations and in their uh, requests of, 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 of what they wanted the students to do. Would that be fair? Yeah, that's so. it, Tom. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah, back to you. Yeah, I would just say, yeah, it's uh, sticking sticking to the script, sticking to the script. One of the one of the early on knocks, and again, these this comes from uh instructors from educators who've never taught the program probably possibly have never observed the program they go oh presenting from a script that is so that sounds so restrictive sounds so boring it sounds so repetitive um but in fact uh, well let's see uh agatha christie's mousetrap uh it showed for how many years 27 or more years of that show, those actors brought to it, and there was a variety of actors that, that, that played the, the characters in the show. They brought to it their own character, their own nuances to, the, to, the, to that script that, that had been done literally thousands of times. So teachers who actually have taught the program, they, they find the script to be great, very palatable. They, they, they can put themselves into it. If somebody says, I was at a training the other day and um, an instructor said, you know, oh, it gets so, it gets, um, you know, the students, oh, we have to start again. And it's like, well, if the instructor is bringing to it like, oh, yes, you have to do this again, then the students are going to, they're going to understand, they're going to feel that and they're going to find it to be drudgery. But if an instructor brings life to that script and enthusiastic teaching and showing the kids like, hey, this is really tough. I bet you you can't do this. And they do it and you celebrate those successes. The kids, I mean, they eat it up. They they want they want to do their DI lessons. Uh, uh, Terry, I mean, do you, think, similar? do you think like, yeah, I mean, do you think like teachers like 
um, so so for me, like I would describe, if if someone sort of gave me, I would find it really hard to stick to a script because I'm I'm such an idiot at times. You know, I I go off on massive tangents. I sort of um, I don't know. I ad lib a lot. So is is the sort of space for that, or would you sort of say, look, Tom, like, yes, you can, you know, do what you normally do, but you need to sort of adapt to to this set of, of, of sort of processes yeah, um, and, and embed those within what you do. Yeah. Well, we would definitely, um, we would, we, we, we do not certainly do not encourage. In fact, we probably discourage going off script. There's probably yeah. certainly uh, appropriate times for it, but in general, yeah. we want to the teacher to be grounded firmly in their training to understand the exactly what terry was talking about uh if you provide six you know even three different explanations for a particular thing how do you know which one that student is going to take to shouldn't we stick with one and make sure that they're firm on that one given that it is a concept uh or or you know skill that should be limited to one interpretation um we would we would want to encourage that 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 instructor to, to stick with that and 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 there are there are other times for them to put out their own individual creativity but really given the important role of academic instruction um we best leave that to to a, a, a system that has been set up tried out extensively and revised in response to the student's performance uh, we, we'd probably rather stick to that. Perfect. No, that that makes perfect sense. Right, Brian, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand back to you for the final uh, bit. We've only got ten minutes. Life time flies when you're having fun, doesn't Boy, it? Even when you're on other sides of the world. Do you say that over there? We say that over here too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, we do. We do. We say it. Um, you probably invented it, yeah. and we just we just stole it, but. Uh, um, yeah, if there are any other questions that people have, if they want to um, tweet them in, um, we'd be... Yes, and, and also we were going to say, weren't we, Brian, at this point, if anybody wants to call in, because I know we've got people like, for example, Rachel's here, who I know um, has commented saying that she's implemented DI program. Um, she's one of the year four teachers and she's never had a class come up as such strong readers overall through a DI program. So Rachel, if you want to share that experience, you know, in these last sort of five, 10 minutes, then please feel free to do that. But actually anybody else, it would be great to hear from anybody. Uh, this is teachers talk radio after all, anybody who has any experience of using DI and um, how you found it. And also whether you have taken advantage of, of any of the resources that Nifty offers. Um, it would probably be a good point for me to say as well that if you are interested in anything that you've heard on the show this evening and sort of a treasure trove of resources is at nifty.org. Um, so if you go to the website, you've got across the top bar lots and lots of information, research, uh, studies that you can look at involving DI, history of DI research, uh, all the sort of stuff that um, the geeky teachers will love. Um, and I, I am I a geeky teacher? 
I don't know, maybe, <laughs> probably. Um, but you've also got lots and lots of opportunities for training, for coaching, for understanding how DI works in the classroom. It's all there at nifty.org. So definitely check that out. Um, Brian, I don't know what, I mean, what, I, I, I'm going to open this up to anyone who's still here, actually, as a speaker and, and, and obviously yourself. Um, if someone's listened to this and they're thinking, I want my school to implement DI and I want the school to implement more DI in the classroom to do basically what te what Terry has done, right? What would your advice be to the teacher who wants to do that? So thinking not the leader of the school, perhaps they're not on board with that. Perhaps they're very set in another way of doing things and, and every way has its merits, of course. And I think it was uh, Kurt who said earlier, discovery learning can be done in a very good way if it's done right. But let's say, for example, a teacher or a group of teachers want to implement and, and, and do more direct instruction in their classrooms. What would your advice be to those teachers who want to do that? Sure. What, what, what would the starting point be? Well, definitely the starting point would be, um, as you pointed out, visit our website, nifty.org and explore the variety of programs. There's a tab uh, across the top that says the programs and it drops down to um, the options to go to reading, uh, language arts, math, um, language, social studies, etc. cetera. Um, click on those, learn a little bit more about the programs. You're gonna see sample lessons available there. And also as Kurt did say, placement testing. So you have a, the, the, the placement tests are available, downloadable for free. Uh, and so, you know, start definitely by doing a placement test uh, for, for each student so you can see what their performance level is and therefore the appropriate program for those students. Then uh, get in touch with us and we're happy to, to describe what we can provide in terms of ongoing support for your implementation. And um, we'll, we'll be happy to, to begin developing a partnership with, with your, your, you and your class. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the starting point. We'd also encourage yeah. folks to uh, reach out to Susie if you're interested in yeah. perhaps going up and seeing Terry's school uh, and uh, uh, checking out what 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 they're doing there and actually seeing it in an act in action um, would be a would be another another key point. Um, that's that's would be my advice. Anybody else got something else that they'd like to add? Maybe hearing maybe. <laughs> oh, Terry, go on. Terry, 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 go on. I. I with Brian about you know going out and looking at schools and looking at how it works and 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 finding out you know the research part of, of what you you know going to be taking on is really important um and then yeah you know talking to the to the senior leadership team and you know taking them on that journey with you to encourage them to look at it a bit more yeah yeah um, Kurt I think you were gonna throw something in there yeah as well. but i let that but terry went first and she stole my thunder exactly that's just what i was going to say those same steps so yeah. we see it in action 
there are going to be a lot of questions you'll have about how it could work in your school. And um, yeah, wonderful to take your the leaders of your school along with you on the journey to see uh, the effects that it has positive effects it has on on the student performance. So Susie can help locate schools that are doing the remedial programs and the primary programs are uh, good to be observed at Dixon's Manningham and Bradford Terry School. Yeah, just to add to that as well, I think um, Kevin Surrey and John Owen and Kim Flynn, who are also on this podcast as well, go and visit their schools. If you need to find out where they are, what schools they are, just get in touch with me. Also, I'm part of the Greenshaw Learning Trust as well, where we've implemented um, direct instruction as a remedial program. Um, if you really want to go and visit those schools, I'm sure the head teacher, senior leadership team would be more than happy for you to go down there and, and spend a day with them and, and see some real direct instruction in action, have a speak, have, have a word with the staff, speak to the students about their experience. Fantastic. Oh, Susie, were you going to chip in something there? No, 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 that was it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, listen, we're, we're, we're nearly out of time. So, Brian, do you have anything you'd like to sort of end on? Because we've got only got a couple of minutes left. Sure. just want to reiterate that we will be doing that pre-service training on corrective math and corrective reading in uh, July. Uh, send me an email. I already got one. Uh, send it to info at nifty.org and we'll be releasing some information on that uh, very soon. Um, and uh, again, if you have uh, interest in, in seeing DI in action, contact Susie. She can, her email is nifty-uk at nifty.org. And she will um, promptly get back to you and, and set a schedule an appointment um, for you to go see um, how you can be successful in your classrooms utilizing direct instruction. Fantastic. Um, listen, it's been it's been really interesting um, for me personally just to hear a little bit more about direct instruction as a concept, um, the process of it, how schools are implementing it. Really interesting to hear it from a primary perspective as well. So um, I'd like to just a, a special thanks really to, to everyone, Kurt, Terry, Brian, Susie, and everybody else who sort of contributed with tweets in and, and, and sort of um, interacting with the show as we've, we've gone along. Um, it's been, it's been great. Um, sorry to anyone who's put a question in there that we haven't had a chance to, to get to, but I'm sure after the show uh, we'll, we'll reply to them or we'll forward them on to the, to the, the correct people who can answer them. Um, this has been, Teachers Talk Radio, The Late Show, uh, with me, Tom Rogers. Um, well, I should mention that just before uh, we were on, there was an amazing show from Hannah. If you want to listen to that one, it's on the Teachers Talk Radio website about being a single parent and a teacher. Um, that finished about a minute before we came on air. So if you want to listen back to that, it's on the website now. And coming up in about 30 seconds is Tracy. Uh, who's talking about the teaching of Shakespeare in the classroom, which should be a very interesting one. Again, you can listen live to that at ttradio.org and just click listen live. Uh, we've got shows all week. And if you want to listen back to this one, it's going to be available as a podcast um, by tomorrow morning, I would think. And it will be available on the TTR website um, for you to listen back to, to share with anyone who you think might find the content of interest or maybe it's a, a friend a teacher friend who is considering 
direct instruction as an approach. So thank you again for listening. Uh, Thank you all guests and all listeners. And we will see you soon again on TTR. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, everybody. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.